Matthew 1 and 2 here in December. These are the birth narratives or the Christmas passages, if you will. Matthew 1 had the genealogy of Christ and the birth of Jesus. That's how the New Testament begins. And uh, today we're going to start at chapter 2. Today's passage is the visit of the wise men. And there's a lot that's accurate about that, and there's a lot that's inaccurate about that as far as the way it's represented in the world today. And uh, so we want to look at it. We want to see what God's Word actually says. We want you guys to be faithful in it, and we want to get the emphasis. This is really about Jesus. This is really about Jesus. We want that to be where your heart is. You know, I've got some good memories thinking back to what Christmas was like, and you know, my, my parents always did a good job of, of, of loving on us, and I, I remember one time that uh, it was dark, and uh, sometimes during my childhood, my dad worked second shift, and that was, that was really tough, because that means we never, never really saw him, to be honest. He was, uh, we'd head to school, we'd get home, he'd be gone, he'd get back late, and one of those things. And I'll never forget one year, he came home, and I think I was already getting ready for bed. I was a young kid, and he said, Josh, come out here, man, you gotta see this. My dad always drove a real small pickup truck, he said, Josh, come out here. You guys see this. I get outside, and he had for me, it wasn't new, it was used, but he had for me a Honda 50, smallest motorcycle they've ever made. But my dad bought me one, Honda 50, truly like about this big, about the size of a bike with training wheels, and that's what my dad had bought me. It was used, but he was so excited, and somehow that night, I had never ridden a dirt bike in my life, but he got both he and I on it. He rode me around the neighborhood. It didn't have lights, and we rode, we rode around the neighborhood. But I've got such great memories from that. After that gift, I rode that thing everywhere. I had such a good time with it. I'm just so thankful for that gift. And you know, uh, yeah, the motorcycle was cool, and I had a lot of fun on it. But what I remember more than that was just my dad's excitement and wanting to show that to me. I remember very clearly he and I riding that thing together that night. And you know, gifts can do that to you, can't they? Gifts can really get you thinking about, wow, that was, that was a meaningful gift, or hey, there was a lot of thought that went into that. That's a very meaningful gift, a thoughtful gift. Uh, maybe it was expensive, maybe it was hard to get, or something like that. And, and I want you all to know that the Bible presents salvation as a gift. It does. You cannot earn it. If you are still convincing yourself that you're good, or good enough, or that you've done something, you're still in that whole earn mindset, and that's not the way it is with God. It's not. It is truly a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? You give gifts. He gave his only begotten son. Or perhaps you know the passage in Ephesians 2 that says um, we're, we're not saved by works. It's by the grace of God. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. It is, it is a gift, or thanks be to God who gives us the victory, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, it's a gift. And you see that very clearly in the passage today of the visit of the wise man. Read with me, if you will, from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, 
in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What a story. This is a good one. Now, they're called the wise men, but they're probably not wise men. They're probably not known for their wisdom. The word there is magi, right? You've heard that before. That's, that's the word. It's, it's magi. And this doesn't mean smart people. This doesn't mean people with wisdom. It means really those that are connected with things like magic. It's actually where we get the word magic from. So we want to make sure that you're not thinking that these are the smartest guys. Also, they're often represented as kings. Almost all the nativity sets you see, see them as so royal with crowns and robes and all of that. They're not kings. We don't have anything here. See, one of the things that happens in the Bible all the time is we get just a little piece of something and we want to kind of teach on it so we add to it and next thing you know it becomes something that it's not. All it says about these guys at all is what we just read. That's all it says. There's nothing more anywhere else. Matthew's the only person that says anything about these people at all. That was it. You guys here today, every one of you, have exhausted what the Bible says about the wise men. That's it. And wise men is an English translation from the word magos. It means magi, okay? Or it's, it's magi. So they're not kings. At least we have nothing to think that they're kings, right? They're not necessarily wealthy. They just brought gifts. Maybe they were. I don't know. It doesn't even say that there were three of them. And y'all all know the Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient, right? It doesn't even say that there were three. They brought three gifts or three gifts were named, Right? So there's a lot of things that we don't know. And really, what we want to do when we study the Bible is focus on what it is saying and not get distracted by all the things that aren't there. Right? And that's what we have here, is these wise men. They were probably guys that were like astrologers. They were into the stars. Right? And from that, they were the type of people who by looking at the stars were trying to figure out what was going on. There are people that are like that today as well. And we see that there is a star throughout this passage. And the, the star is mentioned a lot here. Some three, four, five times here you have the star mentioned. But that's what they were. And what you can't miss about the wise men is that they came to worship. All right, Th this is the, the big thing. They came to worship. He had not already died on the cross, and so he's this hero sacrificial figure. He had not been great, although the passage last week said he will be great, right? Or the passage in Luke says that he will be great. But he wasn't great yet. 
He was simply a little baby that had been born, and they came to worship him. Do not miss the, the grandeur of that. Do not miss the heavy significance of they came to worship him. They recognized the true value of the gift of God giving to the world his son. Not everybody responds the way these magi did. Not everybody comes to worship Jesus. Not everybody comes to worship Jesus at Christmas time. Not everybody has the response that they have. Here in the passage today, I want to show you three different responses to Jesus coming. Number one, adoration. That's why they came to worship. Number two, apathy. That's the way the prophets reacted to this. They didn't care. And then number three, opposition, what we see with Herod the king. Jesus is born to save the world, born that man no more may die as we, have, as we have been singing. Jesus came for that very reason. He came to save his people from their sins, which we read last week. Jesus is the savior of the world. That's why he came, but not everybody gets that or believes that or embraces that. Some worship him for it, some are indifferent toward it, and some hate it or are opposed to it. And we have all three responses here today. Number one, adoration. Adoration means to pay honor to or to worship. That is very clear. And they came to worship him. Again, it says that they came, the Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. And their first words that we read, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Every once in a while, some translations say that he will be king, right? Or he's to be king. That's not accurate. This English translation I'm reading right now is, is more accurate here. He was born king. Do you see the difference? Some say born to be king. The songs often say born to be king. No, he never became the king. Everybody understand that? He never became the king. He is the king. He is the king. Born king. The magi from out of town, came and literally bowed down and worshiped him because he is king. Don't miss that, all right? They asked the question, where is the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What a thought. That's very clear. We don't have much more about them. We see the reaction later on. We see the gifts coming later on. But man, what a thought. Verse 11 says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. What a scene. You like to visit babies in the hospital. You like to go to people's houses when they bring a baby home and you want to hold them and you want to play with them. You want to talk to them. You want to make comments like, wow, he's got a lot of hair. Hey, no hair yet. Wow, it looks like dad. looks like mom. Right, we have all of these type of comments yet. Something you've never, ever done, ever, is hit your knees. And praise them. You've never done that. We love babies. Oh, we love babies. But you've never bowed down. These magi did. These wise men were clear. They were unashamed. They were intentional. They were committed to why they had come. They didn't say, well, there wasn't really any room for us to bow down on the floor. Or it would have been awkward because nobody else was bowing down at the time, right? Notice, they came to worship, they got there, the baby's on the mother's lap, and they are worshiping him. They did that. They came to worship him. You've 
heard this before, let me say it again. Also, this was sometime after the manger scene, all right? Almost always when we do a nativity, we put the wise men there because we just need a few more characters to make it look cooler. But they weren't there at the manger scene, and we need to remind you of that, okay? This is later. Notice that now they're in a house. They weren't in a house, remember that? They had gotten a house at this point. They didn't have a house earlier. There was no room in the inn, and so they ended up in a stall, right, in a barn. This is later. Another way that we know that this was later is that they had to travel far to get there, okay? And they started traveling when they heard that he was born. Another way that we know that this was later is because when King Herod said, we're going to kill this baby, he killed all of them up to age two. If he had just born last month, you wouldn't kill a one-year-old. You wouldn't kill somebody that's 18 months, right? So King Herod calculated out how long ago was it that he was born? Okay, somewhere inside of two years. Okay, we'll kill all of them when they're two years or older. You see what I'm saying? They weren't there at the manger scene. This is different. So keep that in mind as well. This is a different scene. This is a different scene. The Magi, with great simplicity, show us Jesus is worthy to be worshipped. They show us that. They, they challenge us at Christmas time to not let all of the great things about Christmas get us out of worship. The, the Magi are to be remembered at Christmas time so that you and I will also worship. Do all the things that you get to do. And believe me, with my wife, we try to do it all. If, if it is available to do during Christmas time, we are trying to do it. Every single possible thing that's available, we want to do it. We want to go Christmas shopping. We want to go Christmas Starbucks. We want to go Christmas lights. We want to go lights under Louisville. We want to do a new one at Iroquois Park. We want to do everything that there is with Christmas. But we cannot miss that these wise men came and they worshiped him. Now this is important, all right? Listen to what this great commentator J.C. Ryle says about this. The Magi saw no miracles to convince them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak and needing a mother's care like any one of ourselves. And yet when they saw that infant, They believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world. They fell down and worshiped him. So many people today are looking for something to convince them or to impact them in such a way that then they might give their their due respect to this one who gets it then or has earned it from them then. Instead of us being those who would believe from God that our sins have separated us from him and yet God has not asked us to get ourselves together or God has not asked us to forgive our our own sins. God has not asked us to be good enough to earn it. But instead, in the great love of God, he demonstrates his love for us and he sent his son to us to be the ultimate gift, to die in our place, to rescue us and save us. And to believe that is to say, I will worship him. There's a lot that I don't get. There's a lot that I don't understand. But I worship Jesus. The Magi show us that. It is so good. I want to encourage you to be one who worships Jesus. I want to encourage you to be one who, in Christmas, worships Jesus. I want to encourage you to make sure church to you, while it can be a lot of things, and here's a big danger for us, to make sure church to you is about worshiping Jesus. 
people. We do not want church or our church to be anything more than that. We don't want it to be just people hanging out. We don't want it to be just where your best buddies are. We don't want it to be your Sunday morning routine. We don't want it to be where you come and, 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 and get your feel on whatever. We want it to be that you worship Jesus. And the Bible teaches that worshipers of Jesus worship Jesus with other worshipers of Jesus. And so we meet on Sunday mornings. We want that to be what this is about. The Magi are showing us this. It got me thinking of a few passages. You don't have to turn there. Just, just take note. I just got to thinking about that, how intentional it is to say worship. And, 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 if, and if, I think if we're thinking about that, we would admit that we, we don't use that as much. Go to church, get in the word, get focused, right? Gather with the body, be around believers, right? Things like that. Or even if we do use the word worship, we've kind of wrongly, we've separated out to the singing part of the service. Y'all, the worship, the singing part of the service is no more the worship part of the service than this part is of the service. Or no more part of the worship part of the service than the giving part is of the service. All of the components that the Bible teaches us that church is make up the worship service. The giving, the fellowship, the praying, the preaching, the singing, right? That is the worship service. And so I want to encourage you to be aware that that's what it is. And we are worshipers. It got me thinking. I remember, you remember the story in Genesis 22 of Abraham and Isaac, and God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. You know that passage? They get there, they've built the altar, they've got the stuff and everything, and they're, he's ready to sacrifice. And the Bible says in Genesis 22 that Abraham went, he took his son Isaac, and he took two other men with him to get everything ready. And then at some point, like verse 4 or 5 in Genesis 22, listen, Abraham tells the other two guys, we don't know who they are, y'all stay over there. And here's what he says. Listen to this. This is a dad talking with his son. Man, you stay over there. Me and my boy, we're going to worship. Man, I love that quote. I'm a dad. I got kids. Me and my boy, we're going to worship. So often somebody tries to plan ball games on Sunday mornings, which is insane, but they do it now all the time. And whether you have to miss church or not, that's on you, but I would love for you to say, well, we usually worship on Sunday mornings instead of, well, we gotta go to church. I, I hate that we do. We're gonna have to miss. No, we worship on Sunday mornings. It got me thinking just another book later in Exodus, and you might remember this one. It's after the 10 plagues, right? It's after the 10 plagues when we see God to be this amazing rescuer. He overpowers Pharaoh in one of the clearest demonstrations of you don't oppose God. He overpowers him, and Moses is teaching on this. In Exodus 13, Moses says, you shall tell your son on that day it is because of what the Lord did for me. Moses says, you shall tell your son it is because of what the Lord did for me. A little bit later in chapter 13, he says in verse 14, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out. Do you see the intentionality there on our relationship with God and worship I was reminded of that when I see these 
magi. A little bit later in the passage, you have it actually going down. That was the question that they asked when they entered into Jerusalem. But a little bit later, if you look over to verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's an incredible verse about the joy that comes with it. Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Sounds redundant, but there's a lot of joy there. But then verse 11 says, Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. There you have them actually doing it. Then, opening their treasures, see that? They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They brought gifts, sound like treasured gifts. And I don't want us to miss this. There's a, there's a few verses if you're taking notes. We read in Psalm 72, listen to this. In Psalm 72, it's talking about the kings. It says, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Saba bring gifts. It's rare to think of the king coming to give gifts. You turn over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6 says this. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Perhaps the Bible had been pointing us to these magi coming from afar, even in the Old Testament. So we are not to be taken back by this. We're not to be overly impressed by the wise men, although they are very encouraging. It is strengthening to read about these magi, but we are to recognize they adored Jesus. They honored him. They worshiped him. That is one way to respond. That is the proper way to respond. That is the only right way to respond to Jesus. When the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ is a servant, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. When the Bible starts describing Jesus in that way in Philippians 2, it later gets to that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day, folks, where everybody will adore him and honor him and worship him. But the Bible makes clear that at that point, all those who didn't will be judged. And one of the beautiful things about church and, and, and the word of God given to us is that we get to communicate that message now. Do not oppose God. Do not reject him now. Do not be indifferent to him now, but worship him. See the Magi in Matthew 2 this December and say to yourself, I want to be like that. I'm coming also to worship him. I'm coming also to bow down. I'm coming also to bring my gifts. Father, it is about you. Thank you for Jesus and worship him. But not everybody is that way. Not everybody is that way. 
Some people adore him, but other people are apathetic toward him. There is apathy, and this breaks your heart. There's more apathy toward Jesus in our country than there is opposition. In some parts of the world, there is no apathy, but there's a lot of opposition. But here, there's a lot of apathy, a lot of apathy. Apathy means lack of interest in, lack of concern for. In this passage, we have the prophets. They were apathetic toward the newborn king. And here's what I mean. So they come asking the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So that's the question that they ask. But see, there was already a king there. There was already a king there, Herod. And this is Herod the Great. There are lots of Herods. This is Herod the Great. He was known as being uh, hardcore. You didn't go against him. He did a lot of, a lot of uh, rash things, a lot of brash things. But he also was very successful. That's why they call him the Great. He was a builder. He is the one who rebuilt uh, the temple in, in Jerusalem. So Herod the Great is known for being great. And so when these magi from out of town come riding into town saying, where's that newborn king? The powerful king's like, what? And so his antenna is up, and now he is nervous. He has been put on notice, if you will. And it says in verse 3 that when he heard this, he was troubled. And we'll talk about Herod in my third point. This is what I want you to see, verse 4. So he gathered, assembled all the chief priests, look at verse 4, and the scribes of the people. So he gets a bunch of people together, all the leaders of the Jews, all the spiritual ones, because Herod wasn't very much. He gets all the spiritual leaders together, the chief priests, the scribes, all of those who really, really know the word of God. That's what he does. He gets them together, and he inquires of them, which means he asks them a question. Hey, this, this savior that, that everybody's looking for, this Messiah, because, listen, everybody knows we need a savior. They knew we needed a savior. Y'all, the world has fallen. The world is broken. The world is hurting. The world is hurting. We need a savior, and so Herod says, this Savior that everybody anticipates coming one day, where does the Bible say that he will be born? Notice, Herod didn't know the answer. The Magi wrote in, hey, we're here to worship him. Where is he? Herod doesn't know. Herod doesn't know. But he knows who knows, right? That's always good. You always have to have people in your life who know the answers to the questions that you're asking, right? And Herod at least had that. So he calls them all together and he says, hey guys, this Christ that we're waiting on, this Christ that is to be born, where's that going to be? And notice, verse 5, they didn't say, well, let us go find out. They didn't say, let us go find our, our books. They didn't say, I can look it up for you. They didn't say, let me Google it. Here's what they said. They told him, Bethlehem. Everybody knows that, dude, if you've ever read the Old Testament. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that. We've been reading it every Christmas. Everybody knows that Jesus can be born in Bethlehem. I bet you if you go to the nursery right now and pick out one of the ones that can talk, you say, where was Jesus born? They probably know Bethlehem, right? And these guys knew it too. Bam, 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 they knew it. And guess what? Magi had been traveling for days to get to Bethlehem. Guess who wasn't going to Bethlehem? These prophets who knew the word of God, studied the word of God, but didn't obey the word of God. Imagine knowing that the Bible says the savior of the world would come and be born in Bethlehem and him finally, the long expected Jesus being born in Bethlehem and being apathetic to it. Hey, the Magi are heading, they just came from so far away, they're heading down to Bethlehem to worship the baby. Y'all going, nah, I'm not gonna go. 
I've been knowing that, been reading that. I knew he'd be born in Bethlehem. Imagine knowing the truth, but not being moved by the truth. Imagine knowing what the gospel is, but not being moved by what the gospel is. Imagine knowing who Jesus is, but not knowing Jesus. And this is the very problem that we have by these chief priests and the scribes. They knew the answer to that question just as quick as uh, Herod asked it. Hey, where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. Okay. And then they don't go. Herod gets on a move. He goes back to, the, to the, uh, the Magi and he gets on the move to go find them, have people find them, but they're not going to worship him. The Magi keep going. The prophets were apathetic toward the newborn king. They knew the Bible. They knew it was Bethlehem, but they didn't go too. They were unmoved by this. This is so terrible. There are those who know about Jesus, perhaps even claim they believe in Jesus but they are unaffected by him and his ways. They certainly don't worship and adore him. The great author, C.S. Lewis, writes in Mere Christianity, listen to this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. C.S. Lewis is so accurate with that. This is often known as C.S. Lewis's point on liar, lunatic, or Lord. Was Jesus crazy? Was he a liar? Or is he Lord? But you cannot be apathetic toward it. You can't. I know that we are, I know that a lot of people are, but that's why we preach and that's why we live and that's why we want our lives to rub against the grain at times and get people to wake up or get people to feel that they need to come back to Christ. This is what it's all about. This is why iron sharpens iron and makes each other stronger. Because apathy is wrong. To say we don't care or to be unmoved or indifferent is bad. What we have here is a really wild scene, if you think about it. Magi from the east came traveling. They ask, where's the one born king? Herod's really worried by that because he is the king. So he calls all the guys together and he says, where's he going to be born? They say Bethlehem. Herod's moving on that truth. The Magi are moving on that truth. And the guys that know that truth aren't. They're just like, whatever. One commentator says, their failure to believe was not due to ignorance. They knew. Israel knew precisely where the king of the Jews would be born. But it was the Gentiles who worshiped him First. And I waited a little bit to make this point, but this is so super good. Do you realize 
that the Jews here are struggling with the truth. While the Gentiles, listen, the Gentiles are traveling far and wide to get there to worship him. Do you understand that? I said last week that you don't get into the family God, or, or actually two weeks ago in the genealogies, you don't get into the family God based off your blood. You don't get into the family of God based off your family tree. You don't get into the family of God based off who your dad was or your granddad was or who your mom was. Or you don't get into the family of God off of any nationality whatsoever. It does not matter. You have to bow down to Christ as Savior and Lord. You have to need him because of your sins separating from God. And we see this so clearly with the Magi. They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. Remember when John chapter 1 said, he came to his own and his own received him not. But guess who came a-coming? And they didn't even know it was Bethlehem. They just followed a star that got them there. It raises the question, and again, we don't know much about the Magi. We don't know much about them at all. But it raises the question, how did they know? How did they know? And I could really do a whole other sermon that's like, hey, y'all, God knows, and God has his people, and God is working in places. Don't think for it all that it's just the famous celebrity people that are the ones going after God, these, these well-known Christians at times. We do praise God for the Billy Grahams and others, but there are God's people all over the world. God is working in them. It wasn't until sometime later that we blew Lottie Moon up to be so awesome. Lottie Moon was a faithful, faithful missionary for 40 years in China as a single woman just working and working and working. And as that video represented, it is hard and it is sad and it is lonely, but it is worth it. And what we have here is Gentiles coming there to the home of Mary to worship her baby. Now, we know about the shepherds, right? That's in Luke, but the shepherds were there. The shepherds went and did their thing. Remember, the shepherds went right away, worshiped, and then went right back to the field. Do you remember that? I preached on that a couple years ago. The shepherds went, right? But now you have these Gentile magi coming to worship him. It's incredible. But these scribes and prophets, they were indifferent, unmoved. Is that you? Is Jesus and worshiping him literally like one of the very last priorities this month? Is it, well, if we can make it? Well, if we get around to it? Or do you worship him? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Or do you think he's a liar? Or do you think he's a lunatic? Don't let there be lack of interest in your heart and mind toward Jesus. Don't let there be lack of concern in your spiritual life for Jesus. Fight against apathy. Now, let's be honest. I know at times we're all wrestling with apathy. And that's where I want to teach you to battle. I want to teach you to fight. I want to teach you to have discipline and fight for self-control. I want to teach you to pray. I want to teach you to be able to recognize when there are things in our lives that we know are not consistent with what God wants us to be, that we act upon it, right? We all wrestle with that. There are all times where we say, I don't want to get up today. I don't want to be here today. I don't want to read today. I don't want to worship today. I don't want to pray today. I don't want to be nice today. I don't want to love my neighbor today. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, right? And everybody wrestles with those things, but the Bible wants us to see that it's wrong. And so we fight against that. We say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I'm struggling. Be near to me. I just read today because I turned to my Bible to Psalm 119 for the call to worship. 
because that's what the call to worship was. And while I was sitting there at Psalm 119, I, I read this verse in Psalm 118. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. That can be your testimony. That can be your life. Man, life's been hard this December. I've had more going on than ever. I haven't felt with. I've had, haven't felt good. I've had this call for a couple weeks. Money's tight. Don't know how I'm going to make it. And now Christmas is just nine days away. That's a lot of us. And we understand. Fight. Fight. But every time you go to bed, aim for 10 minutes earlier. And turn that TV off. And hit your knees and say, God, I worship you. And December's been hard. Man, it would be amazing if before everybody got done with dinner and y'all ran off, you just said, hey, guys, pause for just a second. We're going to worship Jesus right now. This is about him. We can't let ourselves be apathetic to it. We can't. We have to fight against that. We have to fight against the distractions. We have to fight against the busyness. We have to say, the Bible says he died for my sins. I'm coming to him. The Bible says they came to worship him. I'm coming to worship. That's what we've got to be about. Like the Magi, not like the priests and the, the, priests and the scribes. The Magi adored him. Those prophets were apathetic toward him. Lastly, number three, Herod opposed him. There is opposition against Jesus. And I hate that it's this way. I really do. I wish that it really was like when we start getting our lives turned around, everything gets better. I wish it was that way. I wish that as I became a better person, life became better. Right? It's just not the way it is, folks. Not this side of heaven. There is hardship. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's hardship. There are those who go against us. There is opposition. Opposition means to go against, to provide resistance to, to stand in the way of, and there are those who are doing that to Jesus. There are those who are doing that to King Jesus. Even, listen, and this just speaks to how truly great Jesus is. He was a baby on his mother's lap in the house. He wasn't really doing anything. Everybody understand that? And Herod the Great, one of the most powerful men on the planet at the time, is all shook over him. That happens. That happens. Let's just be honest, guys. If you're not going to surrender and believe in Jesus, he's going to go to work on you and bother you. Conviction's a real thing. Guilty conscience is a real thing. It is. And it'll rub against you. And that's why we often drift. That's a good word. That's why we often drift. Because we just really have to get further and further away from it. Because the more I look at Jesus, the more uncomfortable it makes me until I just trust. Until I just believe. Herod had to look this situation in the face. He's the king, and now there's a newborn king. Not only the newborn king, but the one that the Bible has been predicting forever, the one that God has been saying he would send forever, the one who would come and crush the offspring of Eve, right? The, the, the whole world has known that there would be a savior sent from God. The whole world has known this. 
And those who have studied it have known and anticipated it. Just like now, we anticipate the return of Christ, that heaven is a real place. They anticipated it. King Herod was opposed to this king, and he would work to do away with him however he could. Notice what happens. He inquires. They answer Bethlehem. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. So he's calculating now. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too, that I too may come and worship him. You, you, this makes us love the Magi even more, doesn't it? Because Herod the king told them what to do. And they, 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 they weren't distracted by that. Now it was a, uh, what does it say there? It was a uh, God warning them in a dream not to. But they didn't do it. They, to use a, a modern day term, they ghosted Herod, right? They told Herod they'd be back to talk to him, or at least Herod said come back to talk to him, and they were gone. Herod never saw those guys again, right? They came and worshiped, and bam, they went back to their own country because this wasn't their country. They were Gentiles. They were gone. They were out here. Herod probably still there waiting. Verse 8, I mean verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. They rejoiced, great, they rejoiced uh, exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they worshiped, verse, all the way down to verse 12. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. There, if you don't keep reading the Bible, is where you notice Herod didn't really say anything. Well, jump down now to verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod did not want this king to grow up. Herod did not want to try to figure out, this, is, this hurts, y'all, this hurts. Herod did not want to try to figure out how his kingdom fits into God's kingdom. And in many ways, that's what me and you are trying to figure out each day. How can your world fit into God's world? There are those who know about Jesus, perhaps even claim they believe in Jesus, but in reality, they are working against him. They certainly don't worship and adore him. One commentator said, listen to this, Herod was more interested in saving his throne than saving his soul. And if I'm honest, there are a lot of days when I am too. More interested in saving my reputation or my image or my status than saving my soul. The way you save your soul is you run to God and fall on your face and cry out to God for mercy. Oh God, forgive me of my sins. Have mercy on me, a sinner. God, forgive me. I trust you. I believe. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. Have mercy on me. And he does. He does. He does. He does. As we were singing that song just a few minutes ago, my sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I leaned over to one of my sons and I said, no matter how many times you sin, if you will repent of your sins and turn to Christ, he will take you back. That's the truth. That's the truth. But when we do not believe that, when we get more into ourselves like Herod was, then we have to oppose what his message is. 
We can either believe God's message or we can be against God's message. And Herod was. Herod was known as Herod the Great, but he did not worship Jesus. So he had to do something terrible to preserve what he thought was a good thing. He thought his reign was a good thing, right? He thought he was a good king. He thought he was doing good. So he ends up having to kill all of these kids just to do away with that one king child that had been born. That was terrible. He opposed it. When I was in college, I had this friend, this girl who was, I don't know, freshman or sophomore in college. And like happens to a lot of people in college, listen, there are a lot of people, just let's, let me explain the scenario. There are a lot of people who kind of grow up in church, kind of, sort of. It's not the biggest priority, but they're, they're aware. And mom and dad just kind of ride the fence. This is very common in the USA, right? I'm not thinking of any of you all. If it is you, shoe fits, that's on you. I'm not thinking of any of you all. But there are a lot of people who grew up in America. They're familiar with church. No doubt at one birthday they got their own Bible. It's on the shelf in the room, right? Every once in a while they make it to a lock-in or summer camp, something like that. And then when they get to college, it's like do or die, make or break time. And what I'm so thankful for is that there are a lot of people, when they get to the college years, bam, God takes over, they run to Christ, and the rest is history, Right? They really, really, really fall in love with Christ. Everything that was negative in their life that was pulling them away from God, they can finally turn their backs to it and they just start to live for Jesus. Well, I knew a girl in college and she grew up like that. When she got to college, man, she started hearing about freshman Bible studies. She started hearing about all these campus ministries and she was going to a couple of them. She was loving it. I'll never forget. It was a friend from high school. I'll never forget. She called me up one time and she said, man, man, I've been working on these verses right here. I got Titus chapter two memorized. She was quoting it to me on the phone and all of that. I remember her, her, her zeal, her excitement. I remember thinking, man, God is really working in her life right now. She came home on winter break. Fired up, Bible in hand. This is going to be a good Christmas, like she's heard preachers say all the time. She came home on winter break. After a few days, her mom and dad set her down. She had not said anything to them. They said, listen, we're Christians too. And you're trying to make us feel bad because now you're so Christian. You need to realize that just because we're not into it as much as you are, it doesn't mean that we're not a Christian. She had not said anything to them about that at all, nothing at all. You need to realize that just because we're not all into it like you are, reading our Bible and stuff, doesn't mean that we're any less. Really what you should do is you should find a happy medium. Wasn't long at all before she was done with it. Good old Christian parents opposing Jesus. Parents, if you want to be proud one day, if you want to be proud at judgment day, make the number one priority that your kids be like the Magi. We came to worship. Flunk out of school, can't pay their bills when they get older, you can teach them that too. But the number one priority, we're here to worship. When somebody gives you a gift and it really means something, you usually go back and you say, man, thank you so much. I've had talks with my dad where I've said, man, I still remember that night you brought home that motorcycle. I love watching the speeches like last night, the guy from LSU won the Heisman. 
He talked about his teammates being family. Y'all know what it is to really receive something and just be so grateful. You say things like, man, I'll never, I'll never forget it. I'll never get over it. I'm so indebted to you. For the rest of my life, I'm gonna remember this. People say things like that. Folks, that is the heart of the person who receives Christ. Jesus is the savior of the world. He's changed my life. He's washed away my sins. What a gift. And so I worship him. That's the Magi's story. That's the Christmas story. Kings, I don't know. They're at the nativity, don't think so. Were they really full of wisdom? I don't think so. Gentiles from afar that came to worship? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know what you got going for you or what you don't. I don't know how life's been going lately. But you too can worship him. He died for you. He'll forgive you of your sins if you turn to him right now. He'll receive you into the family right now. Folks, Christmas, the nativity, baby Jesus is about worship. Let's worship him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the magi. Thank you for these guys. Don't even know if it was three. Thank you for these guys who came to worship. God, it's a cool thing to not know hardly anything about them, but that they worshiped him. And Lord, I pray that we would worship. God, I pray as a, as a little outpost right here, tucked away in the corner of South Louisville, there would be a group of people that worship you. Father, I pray that we would believe we would not be apathetic. We would not be opposed to it. We would worship you. Father, do that great work in our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.